I need to take this opportunity to thank the board. They're a wonderful group of people to work with and have the mind of Jesus on their hearts and just love this church. So now you know who they are. So if you ever want to talk with one of them or encourage them, I would encourage you to do that and especially pray for them. Um, This morning we're finishing up our series, God Designed for a Well-Lived Life. And as we finish this series up, I thought it would be really timely to look at us at at the church. Um, Jesus' idea of the church. Before we get into that, though, I want to do a little bit of a plug uh, for this next month. Uh, we're going to have a series called Timeless going on, Ancient Examples of Courageous Faith over the next uh, several weeks here at Grace Point. And there's going to be four different pastors preaching. So you're going to get to see different uh, pastors you know, presenting the word. I think it'll be really good for the church and it'll be a really good time of growth. Um, anyway, getting back to what I was talking about, um, this is the last message of our series, uh, God's Design for Well Live Life. And yeah, we're going to look at Jesus' idea of church. Uh, and as soon as I use that language, I realized a lot of people here have different ideas of church. So let me begin with this opening question for you to consider this morning. What do you think is Jesus' idea of church? If someone were to talk to you and say, uh, this is uh, Jesus' idea of church, what would you say? What would be your answer? What would be the things that would make uh, your list? I have uh, put together some thoughts that I think I hear commonly discussed when it comes to the definition of the church. Some say house churches are godly and they're, they're, they should be the model of the church. Um, but here's what I would say to that. We had the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches. How many came to Christ that day? 3,000, right? And they met in the temple courts. They were huge. But they also met in each other's homes. And they broke bread. And they had uh, intimate fellowship. So you know what I say? The church is neither large nor small. That's not Jesus' definition of church. Would you agree with me on that? Boy, you guys are really not going to say much, are you? We're pretty, pretty uh, stoic here. Um, but they initially met the temple courts because they were large, but they also met homes. And so there was large and there was small. So Jesus' idea of church is not large nor small. That's not what defines it. Sometimes the debate is whether the church is for discipleship or evangelism. This is my favorite one. Um, some will say, well, we go to church to be discipled and then we evangelize. And others say, no, church should be this evangelistic endeavor. It's both. We're told in the book of Acts, the early history of the church, that as they gathered, that the Lord God added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it evidently was evangelistic. But then we're told in the Great Commission by the Lord Jesus himself, go make disciples of all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and Lord, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So it's discipleship. So is the church supposed to be evangelistic or discipleship-oriented? Both. I let things stay in tension with their intention. I'm fine with that. If we really wanted to go deep, we could talk about is the church Arminian or Calvinistic? Is the church complementarian or egalitarian? We could just get on and on and on and on and all these things and debate them uh, to the end of the age. But one thing is really evident when it comes to the church as Jesus presents it. It's to be this radical living organism that drastically changes the life of people and drastically affects culture. We can say that for sure. And we're going to get into that a little bit uh, this morning. I'm going to use an example to illustrate this from the book of Ephesians. And I'm doing this very much on purpose because we did a series here from Ephesians a while back. And I'm hoping that you remember some of this. I'm going to pull a little bit different angle on it uh, today with you. But Paul's on the second missionary trip to Ephesus. 
And we're told that the church evidently had so much impact in this city of Ephesus that a craftsman who manufactured silver shrines to Diana became concerned that they would go out of business and he incited a riot against uh, Paul. So some background information is going to help here um, in case you weren't here for our Ephesians series. But uh, Ephesus was a strategic city of commerce in the central part of Asia Minor, and it was a, a religious uh, center also. So many religions were, were manifested there, and a couple real, uh, well, one real popular one was the worship of Diana. Um, that's the Roman name. Artemis is the Greek name. Um, and and this, there's this temple of Diana that was uh, in, in the city of Ephesus. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I think we have a picture here to throw up of that. I mean, it was just magnificent uh, uh, temple. And the Ephesians considered Diana... Uh, the nursing mother of gods, um, and she was considered the patroness of sexual instinct. And so it was just big business uh, to make these shrines. And hear this. Please hear this. This is the point I'm trying to make here today. Paul ministering Jesus Christ and people becoming alive and born again in Jesus Christ so impacted this community that they thought it was going to shut this kind of place down. That's the impact that the early church had uh, on, on, the, on the town of Ephesus. Uh, and so when it comes to church, people argue and disagree all the time about methodology. Um, I'll be honest with you, sometimes for me it's just exhausting. We argue about methodology all the time. How liturgical should it be? Do you think Jesus had that conversation with his early followers? I just want you to think on that. What songs should be sung? We talk about those kinds of things. Should we use light and visuals like we just used today? I remember a guy visiting us years ago when I was kind of new to the area. He came in from one of those towns in Minnesota so I can talk freely about him. Um, and I, don't, I forget that he had something to do with a newspaper but he wrote in an article that he visited our church and we had screens the size of garage doors. I said, that's because you're sitting in the front row. You know, they look like a garage door. You know why? They are the size of garage doors. They're big, right? But here's my, my point in saying some of this. Visuals aren't bad. Heaven's a visual place. Read the book of Revelation. The colors are wonderful. They're stimulating. And they're going to be encapturing to us. I personally am a very visual person. I like imagery. How about you? It captivates me and grabs a hold of my attention. And so there's nothing wrong with using some visuals, but again, it's a methodology. It's not what makes or breaks the Church of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, what I see is people get very passionate about these issues uh, and lose sight of what is the Church of Jesus Christ really to be about. When I ponder Jesus' idea of church, I have to conclude, based on the Bible, that it's radical, that it radically changes lives, and it radically impacts culture. It's a living institution that brings the new life of Jesus Christ to people resulting in changed lives, and it's going to affect the community at large. It has to spill over into the community. This is definitely the pattern of the early church. So I want to spend a few moments with you today 
concluding this series on God's design for a, a well-lived life, looking at Jesus' idea of a church. Because if we're going to understand our identity, and part of what we're trying to do in this series as well as this year 2022 is understand our identity in Jesus Christ, it, it is tied into the church to some degree. Um, so we're going to just scratch the, the, the topic matter today. We don't have enough time. I don't know about you. I do projects, a lot of projects. And um, I'm a, a, a gross underestimator. Anybody relate to me on that? So here recently, we were placed up in northern Minnesota. And Vicki and I have been fixing it up. And if you're new to the church, Vicki's my wife and the organizer of projects for us to do. And, uh, and I'm fine. I'm, 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 I'm a glad participant in this stuff, okay? So I'm putting up backsplash. Some of you have done some backsplash work, maybe, you know? And so I'm putting up this, and I'll never do it for you. Don't ask me to help you. I'll never do it again. Anyway, so I'm putting up this backsplash. I'm thinking, how hard can this be? Take me a couple hours. Two days later, I got her done. Two long days. It took a long time to get it done, maybe longer than that. It looks beautiful. I'm a gross underestimator when it comes to length of time of projects. So now what I do is think, well, I think this will take three hours. I might as well multiply it by three. It's going to take me nine hours. So I do the same thing when it comes to messages and putting those together. I'm a gross underestimator of how long this will actually take. And so I'm sorry. You're going to be here till two o'clock today. No, I'm not. No, we're not going to do that. But I'm just going to, you know, scratch the itch a little bit today. This is not as in-depth as I'd like it to be, but I hope it gets you thinking on Jesus' idea of church. Now, the word church is used only three times in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But having said that, the book of Acts is nothing more than the early history of the church. The epistles that go from the book of Acts all the way to Revelation are nothing more than, you know, letters addressing various issues and theological concerns of the church. And the book of Revelation is basically the wrapping up of the era of church. So do you think the New Testament talks to the church at all? Yes. But since we're doing this series on Jesus' great teachings in the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm going to refrain from all that other information, and I'm going to just use Matthew chapter 16 today to talk to you on Jesus' idea of church. Now, he does talk in Matthew 18 also about the church, but that's more along the lines of discipline and that kind of thing. So I'm not going to get into that at all here this morning. So I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 28. Now understand this. This is not going to seem like it's talking on the church when I read it to you, but it is, and you'll see as I explain this, as the message unfolds. So hear what Jesus says, or hear what happens here in Matthew 16, I should say. When Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They answered, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. Other versions would say, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. 
And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock of Peter's confession, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. Then he instructed his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord, this must not happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what does it benefit a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his life? Or what can a person give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in glory of a fa- in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, there are some standing here who will not experience death before they see the Son of Man coming in this kingdom. Now, I realize that having read that to you, some of you are going, that didn't clear it up at all for me. I have no idea what church is about. Hang in there because this is really instructive about what the church of Jesus is really all about. We're told that Jesus and his disciples entered into Caesarea Philippi. So this is a military post on the northern edge of Palestine and it was ancient and full of all kinds of history and had all kinds of history associated with it. For example, it had in it a temple built to Augustus Caesar. So there's this big monument, this big temple that you would see built to Augustus Caesar. Also in this area of Caesarea Philippi was a place called the Cave of Pan. Um, Pan was this half man, half goat god uh, of the Romans that played the flute. So if you know your Roman uh, mythology at all, you'd know who Pan was. Well, at the cave entrance to Pan were these little niches in the rock. And in these little niches of the rock, these carvings of the rock, there would be these statues of their gods. So this is the backdrop to this teaching and this interaction Jesus is having with his disciples. He's walking along. He's, they're in Caesarea Philippi, this ancient city full of history. And there's this big monument uh, built to Augustus Caesar there. There's this cave of Pan. And it's got all these figurines and these little niches that, of these false gods. And I can just see Jesus kind of looking around and say, who do people say I am? You see what he's doing here? There's a lot of visuals going on here. There's a lot of association who do people say I am? How do I fit in the scheme of these things? You know, it's like us walking around Washington, D.C. and looking at all the monuments and kind of being captured by those pictures and what they stand for. Jesus is doing this kind of visual with these disciples and saying, who do people say the Son of Man is? And you can kind of get the sense now of what was going on and the question that Jesus is really asking here, um, where do I fit in the scheme of things? Am I just another little God that's going to end up in one of the niches here, you know, by the cave of of Pan? Who who do you think I am? So this is an essential question for the church. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And the disciples start reciting some of the common misconceptions about him that they'd heard. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah or 
Maybe you're just one of the prophets and Jesus not going to let him off the hook. Who do you say I am? He gets real personal. Who do you say I am? And Peter gives the answer. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Now that word Christ means anointed one of God, anointed king. It means Messiah. Some translations of the Bible would, would, would have said you are the Messiah instead of you are the Christ. You're the one anointed by God to come and to save humanity from its sin. And Jesus says to Peter, good job. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And on this confession, then I will build my church. And it's not being built by Peter. That's a misconception of the scripture. But rather, it's built on the confession that Peter articulated that Jesus is the Christ. So the church is to be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Pretty simple, right? Pretty clear. But boy, have we strayed from this in the past at times. Jesus has to remain the central figure and authority of the church. Now, after this confession by Peter that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus uses the term church for the first time and tells us the gate of Hades will not prevail against my church. So now we're getting into the idea of Jesus church a little bit here. What he means by it, the church is to prevail against all of hell is what he's saying. The church is to prevail against all of hell. It's to be a prevailing, overcoming institution, body of the Lord Jesus Christ that's advancing God's work on this world, that's taking back from uh, darkness people who were lost and taking back things from Satan that he's stolen from God. Um, so there's this idea of warfare and the church is prevailing and marching and, and serving God in the midst of this. Um, and after Jesus says that, you know, you're going to prevail against the, the gates of Hades, then he goes on and he says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be uh, loosed in heaven. Whatever you release on earth will, you know, be released in heaven. Okay, you get all what I'm saying there. Um, so the church has the resources of heaven available to prevail against all of hell. That's what, what Christ is saying. So the church is to be this prevailing group of folk that have the resources of heaven available to prevail against all of hell. Okay? Now we're starting to see church as Jesus sees it. Every summer at this time of year, there's a district camp. It starts Monday, in fact, next week. And usually at district camp, uh, all the churches gather together, you know, people like myself and other gather there together. And by Wednesday, you have this little conference and you vote on some things and all that. But before that, you have a little bit of camp meeting if you want to go. And some elect to go, some elect not to go. I'm going to go this year because someone that a lot of you know is going to be the speaker at this uh, camp. It's Tim Purcell. And he pastored here for 18 years before I got here. So if you're wondering who Tim Purcell is, that's who he is. So I'm going to go listen to Timmy speak one more time you know, and, and, and go out to camp. Years ago at this camp that begins next week in Rapid City, we had a special speaker I heard for the first time. His name is Steve Deneff. He was just outstanding. 
and really good. In fact, we had him come here and, 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 and give a message in one of our series we did a while back. And, and he's just, just one of the smartest, most articulate preachers that I know. And I remember he, he was addressing some of this scripture in Matthew 16, and it really impacted me. And he said this about this, the scripture I just shared with you. He said, hell will not be safe because of the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ will beat it down with all heaven on its back, taking back what rightfully belongs to God. And I remember, he's a big, lanky guy. Do you remember who Steve Deneff is? Some of you doesn't have a hair on his head. But he's a big, lanky guy. And to get your attention, he does this a lot. So he's like he's surfing. You know, and he talked about changing body positions so that you keep people's attention. So he would be talking, he's like six foot four, right? I think he's about six foot. He's a big, lanky guy. And he gets right down there. And he said, Let me tell you about hell. It's not a safe place. Because the church of Jesus Christ will beat it down with all the resources of heaven behind it. He said it kind of like that. And I thought, That'll preach. That's good stuff. Let me give you an example how I think this very thing fleshed itself out in the case of Ephesus. We're going back to that example again. So Paul's reaching out to this city of Ephesus. And we're told about this whole reaching out in the book of Ephesians and also over in Acts chapter 19. And what I find interesting here in all of Paul's preaching to the city of Ephesus, he never once says anything really directly about Diana. And don't worship this false God. What he does is he just talks about Jesus Christ. Him risen, that he can change lives, and that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. He talks about what we're for as Christ's followers. And a revival happens, an awakening happens, and people are born again. So much so that this silversmith thinks, we're going to lose all our business. We're going to go out of business here because the whole city's being won over by this guy. And he never really spoke against the evils of his day. He spoke for the Lord of Jesus Christ. I think church to be prevailing, we have to remember it's about Jesus Christ and preaching him crucified and resurrected and being filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to articulate everything that we're against all the time. In fact, I don't even know if that's profitable at sometimes. I think what we need to do is be laser focused on who Christ is and what he can do in the life. You know, I grew up in Minnesota. Some of you know that. And we had a saying there. You can't clean a fish till you catch it. Now, I grew up fishing. Some of you don't even know what fishing is. But it applies this in terms of our Christianity People's lives aren't going to get cleaned up. They're not going to become what they're meant to become until they're caught by Jesus Christ and they're transformed. We can't legislate that. We can't force it on them. They've got to be caught by Jesus. And, and, and Serenity was mentioning, you know, this Roe versus Wade uh, overturning this week, which I never thought would happen in my lifetime. I remember when it was put into law back in the early 70s, I remember... Ooh, wonder what this is going to be like. I was only 13 years old when that happened, and I never thought that that would be addressed and overturned. But I'm going to say this, church. We still are about Jesus Christ here. We want to promote Jesus Christ as the answer. We want to help these women who are in trouble and in crisis pregnancies. Amen. We want to reach out to them. We want to extend the life of Jesus Christ to them. We want to love on these ones as much as possible. We're going to do the same things we've always done. Right? 
Some of you are going, uh-uh, I don't know. Well, I'm just joking. We're going to, what we want to do here is in the midst of this, we, we preach Christ and Christ resurrected. We preach he's the hope of the world. We preach that there's a future and a hope and, and that, that and we try to come alongside these ones that are in crisis mode and we try to help them. That's what we're going to do, right? Amen? That's what we do. We still do those things because that's the answer. That is always the answer to whatever uh, we're facing. Um, so let's get into a little deeper of what Jesus' idea of church really is. And this is point number two. The church consists of called out ones who are gathered as a body. The word church here, ecclesiastia, means called out ones gathered a body. So get the context of this exchange. Jesus and disciples are walking into Caesarea Philippi. And he introduces to them this term church, which means called out ones and gathered ones. You got to understand the place that they were at in, in, in Caesarea Philippi was where people would typically be called out. The government would go there and they would herald and they'd make a calling out to people and then bring government business to them there. The military would come out to this place and call out men to come serve in the forces there. And so Jesus is walking along. He's seeing all this imagery around him and he's saying, See this imagery? Who do you, where do I fit in the scheme of things? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ, uh, the, the, the son of God, right? And so he, he's not just a figurine that fits into a niche of the cave. And then still using some of that association with that place where they would call out, uh, you know, troops and gather them together for military. He says, you're my church. You're my called out ones. You're the ones I'm going to send out to serve me. That's what my church is all about. So the church is called out as a gathered body to serve Jesus and to serve others. The church is called out as a gathered body to serve Jesus and others. So now we're starting to get a picture, right, of Jesus' idea of church. Let's go to point number three. The church is Jesus' instrument to change the world. Amen? The church is Jesus' instrument to change the world. I'm smiling because I've been through that so many times in my life. I have six kids. I uh, remember making this foolish, uh, not foolish, not thought out promise to my wife, Vicki. Because, you know, she was a stay-at-home mom. At, and, oh, man, she put so much into those kids. So I said, when we go to church, I'm going to let you sit in church. And whenever one of them acts up, I'm going to take them out. I didn't realize I made a 15-year commitment when I did that. <laughs> I spent so much for your time with my kids, teaching them to sit on a chair. Oh, my goodness. I said, well, because they thought they had won. I said, oh, no, 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 no. We're out in the four. You're sitting in that chair now with me. So anyway, I don't know why I'm sharing that. <laughs> so the church is Jesus' instrument to change the world. Um, no one has changed the course of history like Jesus Christ. No one has. In fact, you see it in those who are opposed to Jesus. Have you ever noticed when someone swears, they take Jesus' name in vain? They don't take Muhammad's name in vain. They don't take Joseph Smith's name in vain. Joseph Smith was involved with Mormonism, if you're wondering. You know, they don't take those guys. Whose name do they take in vain? You watch a movie, it's all kinds of swearing all the time. All kinds of taking the Lord's name in vain. Why? Well, because Jesus is the real deal. And even those opposed to him have something put in their soul knowing that, 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 that he's the real deal. And, and so they take his name in vain. Um, we have to get to something that's really important here today. 
Yeah, and that's why I read to, all the way to verse 18. After Jesus introduces the concept of his followers being the church, called out once to serve together as a gathered group of people, he begins to explain, I got to go to the cross, suffer and die, and be raised on the third day. Why? Because that's going to birth the church. It's going to bring it to reality. And poor old Peter goes from being hero to being a goat. Now, I'm not using goat like we use it. Now, goat means greatest of all time, like Tom Brady or something. Now, I know some of you probably don't like Tom Brady. I'm sorry. You know, he's called the goat or whatever. LeBron James might be called the goat in basketball. You know, follow what I'm saying and some of that kind of stuff. Um, I'm using goat like you're in the doghouse kind of goat. So Peter goes from being hero to being in the doghouse. And we love to get into this story and talk about Peter and miss the main thing. What's, what's really being said here? And this is point number three or four when it comes to Jesus' church. Jesus went to the cross to make his church a reality. Jesus went to the cross to make his church a reality. So you can't separate the cross from the church. And Jesus knew that. I came with a mission to die to make this church a reality. And when Peter began to say, no, not you, Lord, he's saying, oh, no, no, get behind me. That's not accurate. I'm going to die on the cross so that the redemptive act of God can be unleashed in my church and that and the church can be born and become what it's meant to be now over the years I've heard so many people say to me I don't need the church as if it's my idea as a pastor that I came up with this church it's Jesus idea so when someone says I don't need the church they're basically saying I don't think this idea Jesus that you had is very good. Um, now, I understand when some people say that to me, they've had a terrible experience with church. They maybe went to a church that was extraordinarily um, judgmental and not very redemptive, or perhaps they went to a church that was wrong and heretical. There are some of those. Don't go to those. I'm not saying that. But we are called to be gathered once called out. And that's Jesus' idea. It's not my idea. So in summary, here's how I would define the church. Ready for a summary thought here? Here it is. Jesus' idea of church is that it's full of called out ones, gathered as a body, prevailing against the devil, serving Jesus and others, impacting the world with the cross of Jesus and the resources of heaven making it all possible. That's my succinct definition of Jesus' idea of church. Let me give that to you again. Jesus' idea of church is that it's full of called out ones, gathered as a body, prevailing against the devil, serving Jesus and others, impacting the world with the cross of Jesus and resources of heaven, making it all possible. Now we could end here, but I want to give you a couple other really super quick thoughts and then we're going to end. Just hang in with it. How do I, as a person, actually become part of this church that's Jesus' idea? Jesus tells us how here, as I ended the reading here in Matthew chapter 16. One, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Called out ones are in service. They're on a mission. So if you want to be part of Jesus' idea of church, you've got to require that you lay down your agenda, that it requires that you lay down your agenda and serve him. What happens so oftentimes in, in our evangelistic zeal to get people to come to church, we try to make these real attractional models and we make the church unintentionally very consumeristic. And we invite people into something that's really not the church. Jesus' idea of the church is that you're called out, gathered together to what? 
serve his cause. That's Jesus' idea of church. And unfortunately, what you invite people into is what they expect from you. So if you invite them into a very attractional model that's very consumeristic, that's what they expect. And so I'm telling you right now, come follow Jesus and die to yourself. That's Jesus' idea of church. Come follow him, die to yourself, die to your own agenda. Secondly, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. He says, you got to pick up your cross, you got to follow me. And a lot of people don't understand what this means. Now, Christ had the literal cross. He went to the cross, he was crucified for us. We don't have to be crucified. That's not our calling. That was his calling. Some in their spirit of trying to understand this, pick up the cross and be crucified, actually have been crucified. They've let themselves be nailed to a cross with smaller nails, missing vital parts, so they could understand the agony and pain of Christ. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is that you and I all have a burden. We have a particular cross to bear that he's called us to bear and to follow him hard in that area of life. Um, So for our burden, it might be our family that doesn't know Jesus Christ. And, And we're being told here, pick up that cross. Take responsibility for the ones that you know that don't know me. Pray for them and be burdened for them. Pick up that cross and follow me. Bring them to me all the time. You're my church. You're called out. You're gathered to serve me. So therefore, part of serving me will be to be my aroma and fragrance to people that don't know me. Pick up your cross and follow me. Or perhaps you're to pick up the cross of serving the elderly. Just loving on them and helping them out. Maybe a neighbor that lives next to you that's far from God that just needs Jesus Christ. Pick up the cross and follow him. Maybe you're called to serve an organization like like, uh, Option One to help, you know, single moms at this moment of vulnerability. Pick up the cross and what? Follow Jesus. That's what he's saying here. When I first became a Christ follower, I remember so, so being burdened for my family, my biological family, because I didn't know Jesus. And I remember thinking, if I don't pray for them, if I don't lift them up, who will? And I became God's instrument in that regard. The burden of them was laid on my heart. I picked up that cross and I followed hard after Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in Matthew 16 25, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses a life for me will find it. So Jesus' idea of church is this. It's full of called out ones, gathered as a body, prevailing against the devil, serving Jesus, impacting the world with the cross of Jesus and the resources of heaven making it all possible. And then Jesus does what he always does. He puts it all in perspective. He gets all said and done. He says, what good will it do if you gain the whole world and lose your life? So if you think this is hard, he's saying, no. If you don't come after me hard, you're going to lose your life, man. And I'm going to end there today. So would you bow your heads with, with me and we'll pray real quickly here. Lord God, I want to thank you for this uh, teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 it's really insightful for what it means to be your church and I pray that we pick up your idea of church Jesus and follow after you hard that uh, God we'd understand that uh, we're called out ones and gathered ones in your name that uh, man Lord we can prevail against all of hell because we got this heavenly backing going on 
And I just pray, Lord, that we'd understand how much you want us to impact our worlds and how much you want us to follow after you. So I pray for us as a church, Lord, to be the church that you desire us to be. Forgive us when we've made it less than it's meant to be. And I just pray that you move on us and fill us afresh with the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, even as we sing this final song, Lord, I pray it would super impact our lives. We love you, Jesus, and pray this in your name. Amen.